Let's come now to the, the main thing that we're thinking about this evening, which is our head, heart, hands evening um, on, uh, on this title, God's Grace, God's Truth and Abortion. And I'm going to suggest, if it's OK at this point, that we um, maybe we, we just turn our screens off. Um, I guess just for privacy's sake, uh, you know, we're dealing with a sensitive subject this evening. And just uh, just to give us all the space that we can just feel like we're observers, especially tonight. Um, we, we just thought that might be helpful um, for us just so that we can observe. Matt will explain the shape of the evening, but there aren't going to be big, great breakout groups where we're going to be discussing things. Uh, if that's a reassurance for you, but there will be a chance for those who want to to pray uh, at the end. Let's just have a verse on the screen. I'm just going to introduce and then hand over to Matt. Um, just this wonderful uh, verse. Let me read it. John uh, 1 verse 14. Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. So friends, the glory of the cross of the Lord Jesus is that at the cross we see both his grace uh, and his truth. And uh, we want to hold the two of those things together this evening. Uh, so there is there is truth about where we failed to love God and each other. And the cross of the Lord Jesus doesn't sweep that under the carpet. Uh, it looks it uh, full on and says that our failure deserves uh, God's judgment. And yet, alongside truth, there is grace, uh, grace to forgive and to deal with our, uh, our failure, as we see that the Lord Jesus took our judgment, our punishment uh, in his place on the cross. So this evening, we're going to speak about uh, abortion. Uh, we aim to be biblical, but sensitive um, as, as we do so. Just so you know, we've been planning to do this for a little while. This hasn't come out of out of nowhere. And um, before lockdown, you'll remember Ed Rowett was with us and we were thinking through a number of ethical issues. We'd, we'd looked at adoption. And actually, this was going to be the next topic that uh, Ed was going to look at with us that we were going to do at that point. Um, but uh, it just hasn't been the right time uh, uh, since then. But it, um, it, it seems like a topic that we need to talk about. And uh, we've chosen to, to, to do it uh, this evening. And as we do so, we'll hear about um, God's truth. Um, so I'm convinced, I hope this evening will convince us that um, God is saying in his word that, 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 the end, that abortion is the ending of the life of a person made in the image of, of God. And uh, we want to weep with that and pray and work towards uh, changing that. But we also want to apply God's grace uh, to this issue as well. Um, the abortion statistics, which will be accepted on, on all sides of the debate, is that um, one in three women in the UK uh, will have had an abortion by the age of uh, 45. And as we think about that, that number, we sense the scale of, of that. Um, that means that there will be um, people watching uh, along tonight who, along with people who know the, the real pain of, um, of miscarriage and infertility, will, will know deep down that the truth of abortion and he feel incredible guilt and, and remorse for that and it may be that if you're watching that you've accepted God's grace sort of generally if you like that that, that you're, you're forgiven but you've maybe never heard God's grace his forgiveness specifically applied to this issue and we really want you to hear that uh, this evening what we want to say tonight that the gospel really is this good that we can all have done things uh, in the past, all sorts of things in the past that we all have, and find God's God's grace, the washing away of all of our guilt, and the right to be called God's children. So maybe you've never just heard God's grace particularly applied to this particular area of your life, and we hope that it will help and and um, bring healing in in uh, in that sense. Now I've been um, working on these Sunday evening sermons on the Word of God, um, and. Uh, that's been my focus in the last little while. Um, alongside that, I've asked Matt Jude Jones to spend some time thinking through and, and leading us in this specific area, which I guess is an area of application of what it looks like to look at God's God's word. But I wanted you to know that I've I've looked at I mean, Matt's kindly shown me his script, and we've looked at bits of it to, together and worked on 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 particular bits. Uh, Ems uh, Emily Gregg, our women's worker, has also um, looked at that as well. So uh, Matt is 
not just speaking on behalf of Grace Church Beckenham, but uh, um, we've we've looked at this together, and we want to know that we're, we'd be very happy for people to come and talk to us uh, more after this evening. Um, for now, though, I'm going to hand over to Matt, and uh, he'll take us through the rest of the evening. Great, thanks, Matt. Um, so, uh, yeah, as Matt says, uh, the aim of this evening is to think about God's grace and truth and this issue. Um, we're going to have a slide up on the screen um, just to show us where we're where we're going tonight. Um, I, I want us to start with God's God's word. Um, uh, so that's the authority on which tonight is based. Um, I'm conscious I'm speaking as a as a man and my background, my experiences will, will colour what I say inevitably. But the, the aim of tonight is to hear what God says, his, uh, what have you been hearing? Sufficient, clear, authoritative, necessary word. What does he say in his word? Um, uh, so we'll look at God's word. Um, then we'll see... Um, We'll engage with what the world thinks and why, uh, where the world upholds or challenges um, the Bible's teaching. Uh, the main part of that will be um, an interview with a friend of mine called um, Sarah Pike, who works for an organisation called Care in the area of abortion advocacy. Uh, we'll have a brief break at that point, then we'll look at how we should respond, how we can respond. There'll be a short chance for Q&A and um, optional time to pray in our Bible study groups um, at the end. But let's go go now for uh, looking at what God's word says um, on this topic. Um, and we'll start with the, the big question, I, I think, which is what is what is in the womb? Um, there are there are all sorts of places we could go uh, in the Bible about this. And um, we'll look at some more of them in a moment. But I, I'm persuaded the best place to start on this is actually with um, with Jesus. Um, so think about this question. What kind of miracle do we believe in at the incarnation? What kind of miracle do we believe in, in the incarnation? We we don't actually believe in a miraculous birth, do we? Uh, Mary had uh, an ordinary birth, if you can call normal birth uh, ordinary. But but Jesus was born in the ordinary way. Um, now, the extraordinary thing was Jesus' conception. Um, that's the moment where God the Son took flesh and became one of us. Um, so Luke chapter 1, 35, uh, slide will come up, um, talks about conception uh, as the moment when the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and the power of the Most High overshadows her. And that from that moment on, she carries God in flesh. Uh, Hebrews chapter two says Jesus became like his brothers in every respect, uh, including those nine months in the womb. So if if conception is the moment God became human, uh, conception is the moment we become human, too. Uh, in Luke one, um, the next story backs up this point. So uh, Mary, um, newly pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. Um, how many people are in the room at that point when uh, pregnant Mary and pregnant Elizabeth are, are together? Um, not two, but four. Um, so there's another uh, another slide that uh, says at the sound of Mary's voice, John the Baptist, the unborn child in the womb, leaps for joy. Um, Isaiah says that when the Messiah comes, the world will leap for joy. The unborn John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy because this is his first meeting with Jesus, uh, even though Jesus is less than three months old in the womb. Uh, and very significantly, the, the word used in this passage there on the screen uh, for the unborn baby is the Greek word brephos, uh, and it is the exact same word used twice in chapter two uh, for the newborn baby Jesus when the uh, shepherds come and are told to go and look for him. Uh, it's a brephos in the womb. It's a brephos just out of the womb. You see, there's a there's development, but there's continuity. It is the same person in or out of the womb 
just at different stages of development. Um, uh, other places we'll go, um, we'll rattle through this quite quickly, but I think these are helpful verses just to think about. Um, Genesis 4 verse 1 uh, says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Uh, says the word conceived at which Cain's life begins. And then there's the word bore, as in the moment at which that life exits the womb. Um, Genesis 25, 22, Jacob and Esau are said to be wrestling together within their mother's womb. Uh, they are treated as people. Uh, Psalm 22, verse 10, on, on you was I cast from my birth, David says, and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. So the person David had God as his God inside the womb. Uh, or Psalm 51, verse 5, David's uh, confession. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Uh, she didn't just conceive a blob of tissue, she conceived uh, a me. Uh, Job 10 verse 8, your hands fashioned me and made me. You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You know, there's, there's lots of poetic language here, but, but Job is saying there was a me that existed before that me was clothed with skin and flesh. Uh, uh, the life, uh, what is inside the womb, it is an unborn human. Um, there are other verses we could go to, uh, but I think, it, it's a, I think it's a pretty overwhelming case that God says life begins at conception. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, but in case it's in case it's helpful, let, uh, let me just add one thought on what gets called the um, precautionary principle. Uh, so a man called um, John Frame uh, uses this illustration from America of going um, hunting for a deer. And he says, imagine a situation where you are you are 95 percent sure that what you saw in the woods moving the leaves was a deer. Uh, you were 95 percent sure and that you you think you can take the shot uh, but you think actually well there was there's a five percent chance that what i saw moving the leaves was not a deer it was a child um what would you do in that situation um you would not fire you you would wait to be absolutely sure it was not a child um, I'm convinced God is teaching us there is human life in the womb from conception and that's what the Bible clearly teaches but even if we thought the case was a, a little weaker than I'm making out we, we should we should hold humans in such high regard that even a small percentage chance it's a human uh, should make abortion completely unacceptable. Yeah, the, the Bible teaches uh, life is life from conception. There's an unborn child in the womb. Um, how should we treat then that unborn child? What does the Bible say about that? Uh, exactly the same as we treat every other human. The world treats some people as more important than others. Uh, we act like people's size, intelligence, influence, uh, change their value. Uh, but the Bible refuses to think in those terms, right? Our, our value comes from being made in God's image, uh, not from what we can do. Uh, so we'll have Genesis 1:27 on the screen. It, it's the heart of our human dignity. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. We're made in the image of God. Our dignity comes from being made by God as his creatures to reflect and honour him. And he gives us that value from conception to death. Now, our contributions to the world generally grow and then diminish, but our, our innate value doesn't do that. 
we are always God's image bearers, whatever our age, our gender, our intelligence, our employment status, our ethnicity, we all deserve equal respect. Um, children in the womb are just vulnerable humans who need what all of us need to stay alive and develop. They need food and shelter and we should give it to them. Uh, we should treat we should treat unborn children the same as every other human or, or, or if anything, we should treat them even better than every other human. Now the Bible's clear we're not to show partiality, but uh, over and over the Bible gives um, special attention to the weak and the vulnerable. Um, James 1:27 um, on the next slide says, "Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this: to to visit orphans and widows in their affliction." and to keep oneself unstained from the world or, or true fasting isaiah says in chapter 58 uh, is this it's not about religious festivals it is to loose the bonds of wickedness uh, to undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke it's to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see that person naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh wow. and we're to show a special care for the weak and vulnerable uh, god is the one who gives the weak and vulnerable dignity he is the one who sustains weak vulnerable life himself he bothers to do that because he gives them dignity uh, he gives weak vulnerable life the ultimate dignity by taking it upon himself as he became human uh, we are to become like him as we care for the weak and vulnerable uh, we often talk don't we about going to make disciples of all nations uh, that's that's a good that's a right thing to do we just need to remember that as we go we teach them to obey everything jesus commanded us that we obey that ourselves and, and teach that and those commands include loving our neighbors as ourselves uh, and not being free to walk by on the other side um, it's, it's not on a, a slide but galatians 6 10 says and um, as we have opportunity as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone all, all kinds of good especially eternal good but all kinds of good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith but this includes unborn children let us do good to everyone um, as we have opportunity to do that that reminds us that sometimes we in the case of abortion we, we can't save the life of both the mother and the child um, in those circumstances christians have long long considered abortion to be a, a legitimate option in in some situations it's just that's just trying to love these two neighbors of ours as as best we can in this horribly crooked world um, i'm aware um the issue of uh, saying that's the only issue where we the only area where we should consider uh, abortion uh, i'm aware the issue of um, abortion in the case of rape uh, is a hugely sensitive area um, we don't have time to talk about that now but feel free to, to ask in questions at the end about that or indeed um, any other topics um, like um, ivf or, or contraception that we're not going to get to touch on um, but that's what god's word says uh, life is a life no matter how small um, life is an unborn human in the womb and we're to treat them with dignity and respect as we do every other human um, that's what that's the section on god's word uh, now we're going to turn to the section on god's world um, let me just say a couple of things and then we'll be interviewing um, sarah pike um, first thing to say just this world just think about it this world is full of contradictions when it comes to the weak and vulnerable so you you can go to the same hospital and you can find doctors um caring really deeply and really well for a baby born prematurely at, at 22 weeks um, the country sinks so much money into caring for those premature babies 
you can find um, sonographers congratulating parents on their child at the 12 week scan or uh, consoling parents who've had a miscarriage at seven weeks, offering them some kind of a funeral. And yet in the same hospital, you can also find doctors uh, taking the life of babies at 23 and a half weeks. Um, COVID has really highlighted the contradictions here, I think. So the, the strong in society in COVID are, are going miles out of their way to care for the weak and vulnerable who will be really affected if COVID spreads through the population. Uh, and, yet, and yet abortion during COVID has become even easier under the emergency measures for uh, medical home abortions. Uh, our society is full of contradictions on this issue. Uh, that's the first thing to say. Um, and we're gonna, um, let me invite Sarah Pike, wherever you are, to, um, Come on out and we'll, I'll introduce you and um, ask you some questions. Um, Sarah, we know each other from um, church and um, Bible college. Um, just tell us a bit about yourself. Who, who do you work for and, and what's your role there? Yeah, so I'm Sarah, as Matt says. Um, I work for an organisation called CARE, so Christian Action Research education. We're a Christian policy charity, I guess, working in advocacy around issues that touch on human dignity, which that's a very broad scope. So yeah. the way we focus in on things like end of life and beginning of life issues, we look at things like human trafficking, we look at things like gambling because of the, the really harmful impacts that can have. So it's a, it's a broad brush. Great. And, um, you do some research into uh, on on abortion um yes yeah so my role is primarily looking at early life so looking at issues to do with abortion and embryology although i would say in recent months largely there's just been a lot going on in the policy world to do with abortion so as matt mentioned there's been stuff around um emergency provisions for abortions at home there's been lots going on in northern ireland so we're working on issues to do with that, providing briefing papers, conducting some research, that kind of thing. Um, and Sarah, what, like, why did you, why did you take on this role? Like, why did you want to do research into this area? I mean, I guess, I mean, in God's providence, it was slightly an accident. Um, that, that's a long story and we won't get into that now, but Oh, go but on, I, we've got all night, we'll go for it. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I actually, go on. You were I, saying earlier on about just being a voice, to, just wanting to give a voice to yeah, the voice. Yeah, no, um, I, yeah, I applied to care because, but for a, for a completely different role, um, I think because I think it is really important for Christians to have a voice in the public square. Um, I think it's, I don't think we can ignore what's going on in our world. And I think, there's a responsibility to think about how do we care as a society for some of the most vulnerable. Um, when I applied, I was offered a different role, which is the one I'm in now, which has been, it's been a, I've been in the role about 18 months now. It's been really, really interesting, heartbreaking at times. We work in some really difficult issues. Um, but I think it underscores to me that there are a lot of very vulnerable people involved in the world of abortion in in different ways and at different times and I think it is really important that as Christians we're thinking through okay what what's going on here mm. where are the harms and how can we help mm. um just tell us we've only we haven't got loads of time for this but just tell us Tell us briefly what is the the kind of legal situation on abortion at the moment in this in this country. So at the moment, you you may or may not be aware, abortion is actually is governed by the criminal law. Um, so abortion is in general illegal, but something called the Abortion Act, which is a piece of legislation laid down in the late sixties, creates exceptions where abortions are legal. Um, so the main one is around, or the one that gets used the most is that abortion is legal up to the point of viability which is considered in law to be 24 weeks of pregnancy um, abortion is permitted wherever the continuing the pregnancy would 
pose a greater risk to the pregnant woman, including her physical and medical health, um, than ending it would be. Um, and the thing about that is that pregnancy is inherently risky. Um, and so you can pretty much always argue that it is more dangerous to carry a pregnancy to term than it is to end it. So effectively, we have a system where abortion is available in pretty much any circumstance up to 24 weeks of pregnancy. Um, there are also two, two other big categories. One is about where there's a very serious threat to the pregnant woman's life or health. And in those cases, abortion is available at any gestation. Uh, so at any stage of pregnancy. And those are the cases that Matt mentioned where it, it's not necessarily going to be controversial, things like ectopic pregnancy, certain cancer treatments. And, and the reality is, particularly where the baby is older, doctors are going to do everything they can to try and keep the child alive. Um, it's only in very early gestations where sometimes really sadly that's not possible. Um, and the other case, um, abortions are permitted at any gestation in the cases where the fetus is diagnosed with a disability. And that's something we'll come back to later, I think. Yeah, what is the um, And in terms of, of kind of numbers of abortions that are around, yeah, go um, so there's more than 200,000 that take place in England and Wales every year. And 98% are under that first ground so that there's a greater risk to continue the pregnancy. And 99.9% .9 of those are under the grounds of mental health, um, which is, is the, the grounds that most abortions occur under. Yeah, so it's often the extreme cases that get get argued about, but ninety eight percent of abortions happen happen under uh, the the bracket of legal technical bracket of women's and women's mental health and yeah. the consequences. Um, and just talk us through. I mean, at the last election, there were sort of desires to go further on abortion law. Just talk us through that briefly. Yeah, so I think both Labour and the Lib Dems had in their sort of election manifesto a commitment to decriminalising abortion, which I think there's a big push at the moment to say abortion is not a matter for the criminal law. I think that the view is that this is a private matter for a woman to decide her. The argument is that her right to self-determination is always more important than the rights of the child to develop so there should be no criminal law around this. Um, and that isn't, you know, there's a sense in which that might not change the numbers of abortions happening very much, but there are actually real concerns about whether there would be protections for women in cases of coerced abortion, quite apart from anything else. And it's just, what, what, what are we actually saying as a society? Um, about a baby who is in the womb at 37 weeks, if, that, if that's the situation. Um, just talk us through, so that's the legal side, let's talk us through the, the medical side again. Um, well, there'll be, there are doctors on the call who will um, yes, know, more, know, more, than know more than you and I, but you've done, you've done the research um, well. Just, just talk us through the, the medically, it seems to me we're getting better and better at understanding the development of a child in the womb. What, what do we know about that? Yeah, so briefly. I think we would say that from conception, like the fertilized egg has all that it needs for what we'd call self-directed growth as a unique human individual. Um, and there are there are some nuances in that where it comes to twinning. So particularly in the case of identical twins, you don't necessarily know if it's one or two human individuals. But the bottom line is that an early embryo is a human individual. Um, and I think it, it is it is really important to note that the act of nurturing an embryo or an unborn child through pregnancy, that is a profound act of hospitality. It's a, a radical self-giving to nurture another and give them the environment they need to thrive. And it, we mustn't underplay how costly pregnancy can be. Um, but nevertheless, there is a unique human individual from the point of conception. And then in terms of development, again, some of you will know this better than me, but um, you can normally see a heartbeat on an ultrasound from around six, seven weeks, about nine weeks. The child will have a tiny tongue with tiny taste buds. By around week 10, his or her eyes can react to light. The I mean, development, even in that first trimester, is really incredible. Mm. 
to yeah medically um we seem we yeah it's got that uh, ability to self self develop um mm. uh, but just ethically um i guess that's the where it gets more contested um mm. as a society we're, we're trying to draw a distinction it seems between um biological human life which seems we acknowledge comes at conception and and something called personhood mm. um do you want to uh, talk us through that that briefly yeah so biologically it's not it's not controversial to say that an embryo is is human the crux of the issue is around whether or not we afford them legal personality and therefore protection in the same that way that we would give that to a neonate a very young baby um, and the most the most honest advocates for wider abortion provision are not debating whether the unborn is human sometimes the language gets a bit sloppy in the media I guess the big argument would be that there is a balance of rights and those advocating for wider abortion access would say that a woman's right to autonomy over her body and to make decisions about her family always takes precedence over the right to the life of the developing child. And up to the point of viability, that's that's the position taken by our law. Um, now, the law provides some protections for some babies when they reach 24 weeks, which is when a baby is considered able to survive outside the womb, all things being equal. Um, but full legal personhood isn't given until birth. So from an ethical perspective, Matt's already mentioned that it, it's really difficult to justify because you would have a hospital where on one ward, your neonatal spe specialist will be providing life-saving, life-sustaining care to a preemie baby at 24 weeks. And and further down the corridor, you could have a fetal medicine team ending the life of another child just a couple of days earlier in development. Um, and some of the arguments for this would revolve around the idea that even at 24 weeks, a fetus would have no self-consciousness. Mm. But we need to be aware that's a really slippery slope yeah. because that you can you can say the same about a newborn. Um, to what extent is a newborn able to kind of self-consciously reflect is that it's a good question yeah and the medical journals sometimes publish these kind of I don't know why they do them it worries me why they do them like the post-birth abortion papers that say you know the te technically the slippery slope leads in that leads in that direction back to a kind mm. of first century greco-roman world where babies were abandoned on the abandoned on the hillside um yeah uh, it's a scary yeah scary world ethic ethically as you're looking at the kind of the logic of these things um just um socially though so that uh, let's go from ethically to kind of socially i know you've done a lot of thinking about this sarah um just what are some of the big social things at play going into the the individual woman's decision to have an abortion um, and I think we've got a Jordan this diagram up now uh, you think this is just a, this is from a book um, might be a helpful resource for people uh, it's called abortion um, uh, and this diagram just kind of I think helpfully lays out the kind of possible causes and just all of the different things coming in and, and the possible consequences Sarah do you just want to speak to that yeah, so I think the first thing to be to say would be that we mustn't lose sight of the fact that abortions occur in a context where we have created a kind of cultural blindness. Um, and that's not something that kind of is is about what the individual is doing, but it's about what we as a society are doing. So, you know, if you look at all of the language on the literature that's provided around abortion, there's there's no sense that the unborn is a person made in the image of God. And that, you know, there's a language which is very dehumanizing. So we'll talk about the pregnancy or the products of conception. And that's very different to the language that's used around miscarriage at the same kind of stage. Yeah, um, we could just, we can help in society just by sort of noting that dehumanizing language and just try to, battle that where we can and I, I think that's not always helped by the fact that we often we don't talk about 
we don't talk about pregnancies until 12 weeks and I know there's good reasons for that but that sort of silence around that stage of development is yeah it's complicated um I think the other thing to be aware of is that an unplanned pregnancy is always a deeply gendered issue and or it's all too often the case that women will carry the weight of the responsibility and the cost. And to some extent, that's inevitable. Um, so it's always the woman who she's the one who is likely to face or could face lifelong impacts to her physical and mental health. Um, so I, something like one in three women experience some form of incontinence after pregnancy. You'll be aware of postnatal depression. There are things around kind of pelvic organ prolapse. There are lots of quite significant physical and mental health complications. And if a woman has had a previous traumatic experience of a pregnancy, then let's not underestimate the impact of the fear around carrying a pregnancy to term. So there's also the question of the, the kind of the social cost. And I think that's particularly pertinent in, in a Christian context. Like the woman is, is the person who's going to have to answer to anyone and to everyone about her pregnancy. And she, she's gonna be the one primarily who has to field those questions. And that I think can be a really hard and a scary thing to do. Um, and church contexts have not always been friendly to women who are pregnant outside of a marriage context. Um, so there's question of economic pres uh, pressures and that's a really pressing one at the moment. There's a lot of research being done. So we know that one of the groups where the abortion rate is increasing at the moment is among women who already have two or more existing children. Um, and I think COVID exacerbates this because, you know, where, where you might have been economically stable before COVID, suddenly you might be in a situation where you no longer have a job, your partner doesn't have a job. And if you're sitting looking at the two children who you're struggling to feed and you're struggling to get them the right kit that they need for school, then I can really see why you might feel like the best decision you can make as a parent is not to have another child. Um, and obviously as Christians, we would say that other child is already, is already there, but it is really, really difficult. Um, obviously there, there are the particularly challenging situations where there are abusive home situations. So there are contexts where we know that women are women are having abortions because they don't feel like this is a safe context into which to bring a child. And that's something we really need to hear. Um, and we know that the legal system is not helping in that. It's something like in 50% of contact orders, which are made through the family courts where children are mandated to have contact with their father, there are kind of, allegations or even documented domestic abuse. There are some really horrendous cases where convicted rapists have been offered contact with the child and that's harmful to both women and children. Mm. Um, it's worth saying that you, it, we can really glibly say as Christians, oh, well, you could have the child adopted. And I think we need to be aware that that, that really isn't a placebo the care system in our country is really struggling. Um, and again, that's not to say that abortion is the best option, but you can really see why women are in situations where it does seem like the best option. And I think one of the things we need to think about as Christians is how do we help create a society where abortion never is never the best option or the only option that a woman can see. Um, and I, one of the things we also need to be aware of is what what would it be like for a woman coming into our church who is a single parent or a woman within our church who is facing an unplanned pregnancy? Will she know that we will love and support and care for her and help her and help her child to flourish? Mm -hmm. So those are some things going into that. Big issues. Um, the one we haven't mentioned, let me just mention it quickly, was just the, um, it said more, me more men than women. I don't think that's particularly a, a thing in the UK, but the research I was reading was saying around the world, they think that there are uh, 23 million, they're calling missing girls through sex selective abortion. Mm. And that's mainly China and India. 
Um, so this is this is a sexist this is a sexist issue, um, uh, and in the, it's in disproportionately impacting women. Um, just give us briefly one thing on on politics. Uh, what has Care been doing politically recently? Mm, so obviously, there's been a there's been a lot of work around this temporary home abortion legislation, and there are some there are some real concerns there about. You know, even if for some women this makes abortion easier to access, is that okay if there are some very vulnerable women who it puts at greater risk of coercion? And and even women who are not at risk of coercion, there are there are some not insignificant health and safety concerns. And whilst abortion is largely safe, I think the concern is that when it does go wrong, it can go very wrong. Um, so there are concerns around that that we've been looking into and doing some research on. The other thing that we've been looking at is, so one of the things we mentioned earlier very briefly is that in law at the moment across the UK, it's legal to end a pregnancy because the child would have what's termed a significant disability. And we know that that, that includes things like Down syndrome, which isn't in itself in any way fatal um, and it is it is true that still most abortions do happen early and they happen before 24 weeks but nevertheless these these laws are discriminatory and we know so there are women who have spoken about their experience of a pregnancy of a child with down syndrome who've been offered terminations again and again sometimes up to like 37 38 weeks of pregnancy and that's really not okay and that the discrimination continues after birth so we know that around 200 pounds is spent per person who has cancer per year on research around cancer treatments just 16 pounds per person per year with down syndrome is spent on research and more than 11 pounds of that is spent on screening in terms of antenatal screening, and that is primarily with a view to encouraging termination. Um, and that that is really concerning and, and is harmful to people with Down syndrome and their families. And that plays out in all sorts of different ways. So there's a bill going through in Northern Ireland at the moment that's aiming to prevent that. So we've been doing some work around encouraging Christians and equipping Christians to respond to that yeah. um, amongst other things. I mean, I think, and I think that just highlights, just sort of lifts the mask a little bit on what's, on some of what's going on here, look, what is going on here, right? That it is, it's just stomach churning that that is, that is legal in our country, uh, that we don't value the life, we don't value the life of people with Down syndrome. Um, they value the life of people in, uh, at all in the way we don't acknowledge their life but we we don't value yes just that you it is legal in this country to have an abortion up to term for someone with with down syndrome i mean yeah there are some scary stats about the number of people that are not born you know iceland was it iceland didn't have a didn't have anyone with down syndrome born for five yeah, years that was the, the stat in the sally phillips um but it is Philip's documentary. In Wales, we know that it's some, I think it's nearly 50% of women, if they are given a diagnosis or a high chance result of their child having Down syndrome, they're offered a termination in the same conversation. And around 50% having refused a termination are offered again, sometimes more than once. So there is a, that just the language, there's a real bent towards termination, even if that's unintentional that is kind of the expectation and that's really concerning well thanks thanks so much Sarah um we're going to uh just take a moment um a brief stretch of the legs if you want um and I'll, I'll kick off again in in two three minutes time but um let's just take a moment um uh, yeah stretch our legs and we'll come back together in a couple of minutes Well, hi everyone. I'm, uh, I'm aware time slightly got away with us in the interview. Um, this second section won't be um, 
uh, won't be as long, so don't worry about that. Um, uh, so let's pick up where we where we were. There, there's there's often heartbreaking complexity that goes into into an abortion. All kinds of uh, power plays, stigma, patriarchy, pressure, and people. Uh, sinned against as well as sinning and um, I think we, we praise God he he is the judge he weighs all that rightly and holds out grace and truth um, but but alongside the complexity in the individual situations there's the Bible's the Bible's clarity um, human lives are being ended um, and that is that is an evil in our society um, there's a complex web of culpability but there is simple reality um, we've had the some of the stats already 40 million abortions happen worldwide every year um, we've been pausing to remember a hundred thousand people have died this year from covid uh, in the last year more than 200,000 have died in abortion in this country a hundred die each day from COVID at the moment, and six hundred die each day uh, in abortion. Um, as a society, we we know an unborn baby is a human life, but what do we what do we do with that? Um, some people advocate loudly, some walk by on the other side, but at, at base, we we allow them to die in service of more important goals more more important uh, what what could these more important goals be these false gods that we trust as a society to bless us more than obedience to god uh, maybe it's sexual pleasure with no strings no people attached uh, maybe uh, economic advancement that that no one stands in our way as careers have progressed as gdp grows as power grows uh, maybe it's for for comfort um, fewer fewer mouths to feed fewer sacrifices needed uh, to care for the the other humans god has put in our lives uh, we're trusting these false gods to bless more than jesus uh, but all that leaves in its wake is a trail of devastation um, jesus holds up a better way to us and it's what we want to say to the world the, the pro-choice lobby says the cost of caring for these children would be too high the sacrifice too much uh, the bible says self-sacrifice for the sake of others is the most noble and beautiful thing we can do it's what jesus has done for sinful selfish people like us and he calls us to it too um, sacrificing comfort for the sake of that child is beautiful it is christ-like um, losing career status for the sake of that child is, is beautiful jesus says as we lose our life we find it but as we reject that as we suppress the truth by our wickedness as the the conscience of society gets um, seared gets hardened uh, as it was with slavery we'll we'll find one day as a society that god loves the vulnerable so much he hates it when they are opposed and oppressed uh, we will stand before god the judge on the day of judgment uh, and our society will will answer for what uh, what we've done and that will be a day of devastation that's God's word said this, this is engaging with the world um, lastly as we think about how we should respond the, the first thing we want to say is we rejoice at God's grace for sinners as we think about God's grace God's truth and abortion we respond by rejoicing at God's grace for sinners so that the heart of the gospel um, Paul says uh, in 1 Timothy 1 and there's a slide for this uh, the man who organized the death of many Christians says this. Um, this is a trustworthy saying deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Somebody who organized killing Christians. 
and yet he rejoices in grace. Uh, maybe you're listening in tonight uh, or later and you're, you're not a Christian and you, you feel pain and guilt in this area. Do you know that Jesus is ready to give grace, to forgive completely, fully, finally? Uh, maybe you're a Christian who's had an abortion and you're watching now and or you've you're you've encouraged that as the father uh, and for years you've accepted God's grace generally but not specifically for this issue you you are really forgiven if you're trusting Jesus um, if that's you and you've never talked and prayed with another mature Christian about it, that would be a great next step. Not so someone can be nosy, but so they can help you believe God's grace for this area. Uh, or sometimes people find going on courses really helpful when it comes to, to processing past guilt. Um, maybe you've been affected by another's choice to have an abortion. Uh, maybe you've been uh, robbed of a, of a grandchild or you just you, you hate what someone's done. Uh, you've known it. But actually, um, tonight, the spirit's convicting you when you've spoken about it. You've been uh, with them. You've been all truth and no grace. Uh, maybe you need to accept forgiveness for that and to take a step to say, oh, I'm really sorry for bringing graceless truth, even though my my understanding of the truth hasn't changed. Uh, or maybe you're like you're like me and you think I, I need God's forgiveness for not caring enough about this issue, uh, for not speaking when you should have spoken or acted when you should. Uh, we're to pray, God, please help us, uh, forgive us, please help us weep at the evil in this world. Um, so as we respond, we need to rejoice at, at grace, rejoice at grace. Second, we need to um, we need to think about grace and truth in the church. Um, uh, there are things to say about uh, politics, but really, Christians, we are we are a tiny minority and we will make progress in this discussion in the long run only if we get things right in the, in the church first. Uh, we need a culture where we can open up about an abortion or a temptation to abort. Uh, and when we can find grace and help, uh, a place where we can find grace and help if we have an unexpected pregnancy. I used to help on some um, Christian activity holidays and, and it always struck me that this 17-year-old uh, came with her pastor dad and with her daughter. Um, it was it was very brave of her to to tell her dad yes i've i've sinned uh, help and for her dad to say yes i i love you um, jesus forgives and so do i i'll, I'll love you i'll love this grandchild uh, and i won't care about what looks we get as a result um, uh, we need a culture like that in nuclear families and in church families so it's what nick was speaking about last sunday where people's homes and holidays reorientate around others to give grace and help as they choose to, to have the baby um, we need uh, radical grace as people have unlooked for children and I would suggest radical grace when it comes to adoption so in the Roman world instead of abortions people left the babies to die of exposure on the hillside uh, the early church was known for taking them in uh, we, we can't just be pro-birth we need to be pro-life all of life uh, if we want people to have babies in hard circumstances christians need to be at the forefront of adoptions uh, mary and i stayed with a couple of pastors in america um, a while back uh, and each of them had um, three or four children of their own and four or five adopted children um, and the first thing they did for these children was wean them off heroin because that's what their mothers have been addicted to. Uh, in the state they were in, there was no waiting list for foster adopting because all the churches agreed to step up. Um, when the, the Christian adoption agency Home for Good, some of you might come across it, launched in the UK, they said there were 9,000 foster carers urgently needed. 
6,000 children waiting to be adopted. And they said approximately 15,000 evangelical churches in the UK. Nine plus six is 15,000. So one family in each church, each with the help of the church, stepped up. Um, no children would be waiting for home. Uh, we're saying to each other, Christianity is not just a label, it's a costly lifestyle. That true humanity is found in contentedly, consistently, uh, with the capacity Jesus gives, sacrificially serving in whatever capacity we find ourselves. We need grace and truth in the church. Uh, and just on the way past, we'd want to pray for uh, those in the medical profession as they resist the temptation to be those um, sign, signing off on abortions uh, in the church and, uh, and facing increased flack for that as they do that. Um, let me say something about grace, truth and um, the gospel. Um, so abortion is a gospel issue. Uh, uh, think about this, then we'll think about uh, politics and then it will be a chance for questions. Um, think, abortion is a gospel issue. So Jesus bearing our sins is right at the heart of the gospel. Uh, but the gospel proclaims Jesus as Lord and Saviour and calls us to repent and believe. Um, and that call to Jesus' lordship uh, and salvation and to repentance and faith, that is both general and specific. So as Jesus speaks to the rich young ruler, he, he gospels him with specifics. He, he challenges not just him generally, but specifically on the issue of money and possessions. Or when John the Baptist gospeled Herod, he spoke about Herod's sexual sin. Uh, and so, yes, we'll say Jesus forgives sin, rescues from hell for heaven. But at, at points will teach what Jesus' lordship means in specific areas. Uh, so don't be surprised if compassionately, sensitively on occasion, uh, abortion is raised on Sundays or in youth groups. The, the world, the church, will never know Jesus has a life-giving message on this until we tell them. And silence is not silent. It, it speaks volumes. Um, this is too big an issue uh, to never speak about. So corporately, we want to speak about it. But more importantly, as we, we share with friends and family, the goodness of Jesus's grace and truth. Um, we say it's, it's part of speaking to others uh, and it's part of um, not just of speaking to others of the gospel, it's part of us living under the gospel, under Jesus's rule. Um, he commands us in the gospel to become like him, to love our neighbor's body and soul, to, to hate injustice, uh, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. Um, as Christians have engaged with this and wondered how they could um, take next steps. Um, one practical thing some have taken is um, setting up um, crisis pregnancy counselling centres. Um, so there are some in London called um, options clinics um, that have been set up in uh, Wimbledon and Streatham. Uh, and so often people say, I had, I had no option but, but abortion. Um, that's their, their account of what's going on. Uh, these centres show them the full range of options and, and offer help. They're, they're clear, they're not abortion providers and they don't make referrals for that, but they're, they're committed to showing care and compassion for women who, who do choose that and um, struggle with that decision afterwards. Uh, some of us might look to support ventures like that in some way. Uh, lastly, politically, uh, this is really hard. We are a small minority and council culture hunt, uh, shuts down so much reason debate in our society. But we need to find ways for the world to hear our voice on injustice, on, on racism, on misogyny. We must never be single issue. But I'm convinced this is the biggest issue of injustice in our country today. Um, one rule of thumb for how we would engage is Looking back to the abolitionist movement where slavery was still legal in this country and uh, slaves and reformers like Wilberforce uh, looked to oppose it. How would you have wanted Christians and churches to conduct themselves on that issue? Um, uh, and then 
do that with this issue. Uh, so the seriousness of abortion isn't an excuse to sin and campaign in a way that causes further harm to others. We, but we should oppose this injustice. Um, politically, how, how Christians should vote in a parliamentary democracy is an area of freedom. I think um, there are there are many different areas in which we want our neighbour to be well loved by the government, uh, and there are many different tactics to weigh in to weigh in taking next steps but i think abortion law should be a massive issue on the table as we weigh how to vote uh, i don't see a way of uh, of not saying that um, so that's what it looks like to respond i think uh, in the church in accepting our forgiveness and seeing it as a gospel issue and in politics um so much more i could say uh, but we're out of time to say it um, um so matt lloyd what would is there anything you'd like to add uh, other than just to thank um sarah especially for uh for joining us tonight thanks uh, thank you very much sarah for giving up uh, your time and yeah as we said um to that uh, uh emily ems greg and i and matt um uh mary i guess as well are around just to um speak and talk uh as well as uh ccm group leaders um uh if uh, if there are particular things that we want to, to talk and to and to pray